start uh, before we get to our Bible reading. Um, if you want to get to the Old Testament, we're going to go back in time quite a bit this morning and take some encouragement from God's Word. So if you want to look up uh, to begin with Deuteronomy chapter 31, and uh, we'll start there and move into uh, the first chapter of Joshua. Um, so if you'd like to just keep your thumbs there, we'll uh, get to that in just a moment. But um, for those who are here on Christmas Day, you may remember our kind of theme uh, on Christmas Day and afterwards was on, on hope, on the hope of what it means that God sent Jesus into the world and that uh, through him, his plan uh, came to fruition to, uh, to take upon himself the sins of the world, uh, to conf- uh, defeat evil, to defeat and conquer death and to promise us uh, a glorious new life with him that begins now and extends beyond our own uh, deaths, our own mortality uh, into eternity. And how that, uh, that hope is what brings um, and, and comes into any sense of hopelessness that we might have. Uh, it's a very real hope. It's one that gives meaning to our experiences and it drives us to look forward um, to what is yet to come. And then uh, we heard last Sunday as we kicked off the first Sunday of the year from Romans chapter 8, to Romans chapter 8 a little bit more detail about that hope. The hope that comes from knowing Jesus and having uh, that promised gift, the Holy Spirit that indwells us, lives inside every single one of us. Um, uh, And it's been a real blessing, I've got to say, preparing and and preaching. I deliberately left uh, January free. I went out on a limb as a preacher this year. I don't normally do that. I like to be prepared and and I like to put preparation uh, into this this in advance with God's help. And this time I felt the Lord saying, you know, don't go and plan things because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Um, and, and I've just sat each week, and, and so we've looked at hope, um, and I want to move on today to look at faith, and how we can be encouraged by faith. And then uh, sometime later in January, we'll, we'll look at the topic of love, faith, hope, and love. You may be familiar with those three, faith, hope, and love. Um, they're actually sort of at the heart of uh, Christian New Testament living, the Apostle Paul wrote about them in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, around chapter 13, and he, he, he said that those three are, are, are sort of the, the core virtues of what it means to live a holy life filled with the Holy Spirit, a godly life filled with the Holy Spirit, faith, hope, and love. And of course, he separates out or singles out love as the greatest of these, and we'll look at that shortly. They're the, they're the big three when it comes to the lives God has called us to live by. And I think it's a great way to start the year as we look at these themes from God's Word. Well, the Bible specifically has a lot to say about faith, uh, as well as um, implicitly about faith. And uh, perhaps a, another word for it that helps us understand what faith is might be trust. It's, it's kind of trust. It's trust in God. However, we need to keep uh, firmly in mind that there is an enormous difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And for this morning, I'd like for us to go back to the Old Testament and have a look at, uh, at a time in the life of Israel where they were um, demonstrating, their leaders in particular, were demonstrating great faith, great trust in the Lord and, uh, and in obeying Him into what He had commanded for them to do. But there's an enormous difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, particularly when it comes to God's commands. And I'll just preface that with our story this morning, and no doubt you'll pick up why as we look at some of the details. But I want for us this morning, and boys and girls, this is something you may be familiar with. If you've been in Kingdom Kids and Sunday School or 
um, SRE at school or you've been uh, in your chapel services or whatever it is that you do, you may be familiar with some of these stories. I know many of the mums and dads and grandparents here are familiar with these stories and um, we don't often read them or hear about them because they are so long ago and they happen in a completely different time in history and it's, um, there's a lot of detail to, to try and understand these stories but you might remember some of these stories. I want to encourage you to listen to them and perhaps take something from them this morning that might encourage you as well. But we're going to look at a time in Israel's history before they had formed into this mighty nation, the nation that would become Israel under their King David, which was uh, who was their greatest king. Um, the story that we're looking at this morning happened soon after they'd been uh, freed from slavery in Egypt. Remember, they spent some 400 years growing into a very large group of people, uh, some 400,000, um, there's various estimates, but a good number of people over those, um, uh, over those uh, sorry, 400 years, several hundred thousand people um, under slavery in Egypt. That wasn't where they were supposed to be, it wasn't what God had um, for them, ultimately, but it was for a time and for a purpose. And uh, Moses had been raised up as their leader. Who remembers Moses? Hands up if you remember Moses. I want to see some little hands going. You must remember Moses. Moses was another great leader. He gives me great encouragement, just like the Apostle Peter, that, uh, that anyone can um, respond to God's calling in life. Because Moses was a very flawed leader, and yet he was still used mightily by God for God's purposes. It's not about Moses, it's about God. But Moses was their leader at the time, and he brought them through the, the waters of the Red Sea. Remember Moses? Uh, well, God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea and allowed his people to go through freely uh, as they fled the, um, the Egyptian army that was bearing down upon them. And then God led the people through Moses to the base of a mountain, Mount Sinai. And it was here that they were given God's laws. You don't like my pictures or... No. They're very hard to find, Old Testament pictures. This happened a long time ago. They're all paintings or very childish, one or the other. That's all right. We'll wait. You may need to run down here with the remote, possibly. So we'll keep preaching and we'll see how we go. As I tell the story, you'll have to picture it now. But they're brought to this mountain, the base of Mount Sinai. And it was here that God connected, out, connected and reached out to his people in a special way and made a new covenant with them. He gave them his law. And God made this covenant through Moses with the people, the Hebrew people as they were known of as, at the time. And it was a covenant based upon uh, God revealing to them uh, a way to live. God revealing to them what holy living looks like and needs to look like for his people, for those whom he would, um, he would love and cherish as his own. And uh, it was a wonderful time. But this, uh, this relationship that God had built with his people was based on their obedience to the law that he'd given them. So it was a, a covenant with consequences, if you like, uh, for a disobedience or failure to obey God's law. But as we know, um, sooner, no sooner had the Israelites seen this wonderful, miraculous turning up of God, and it's an amazing picture, um, where God's presence came upon the mountain, and, uh, and uh, Moses went up and and uh, received from God the tablets. Here it comes. Um, as, as no sooner had that happened, they seen this wonderful thing. We know what happened, what Israel did, don't we? The Israelites did. They, they, they rebelled. They went back to their old habits. And 
despite seeing what God had done for them and rescuing them from slavery, despite seeing um, the miraculous turning up of God, the way he uh, parted those seas for him and drowned their enemies, um, despite all that, all those miracles, they turned around and took things into their own hands. And they built for themselves in Moses' absence. So Moses is gone, he's up the mountain, and they panic, they fear, and they become faithless. And they go and build a golden calf. They go and break the first, the first law. You know, you'll have no other gods before me. And they go and build this false idol that they seek to worship in place of God. They've, they've stopped trusting God. And Moses comes back down from the mountain and he sees their sin. And he breaks into absolute, he goes from, you know, the holiest of holies to probably the humanest of humans. Um, and he gets really cranky and he smashes the stone tablets that the commandments had been engraved on. And of course, uh, he rebukes the people, he's uh, disgusted with them, and he now has to go back up the mountain, and God graciously gives him another copy. Well, from there, Moses continues to lead the people, and he's, uh, he's led by God to an inhabited land, a land that had been occupied by people who were very, very, very far away from God. And God tells the Israelites that they're to look upon this land, and he has determined for it to become theirs. This will be a land that they are going to occupy. Um, no longer will they be slaves, no longer will they have to wander around dodging and ducking and weaving from enemies and asking and relying upon God to destroy uh, the enemies and so on. They will now be given a home, a place. They will be given this land, a promised land, a land described in the Bible as full of milk and honey. Now, for those of us today who think, full of milk and honey, really? Yuck. Um, well, some might like it, but it's a, way, a Bible way of saying a very prosperous land, a fruitful land, a land that would have much abundance and provide for God's people. But the land at this stage wasn't theirs. It was occupied. It was occupied by a brutal, a brutal Canaanite people. And so as God led the Israelites to the brink of the land that he promised to give them, Moses decides to send out 12 spies. He sends out these 12 spies, and uh, the, the word spies isn't very good because they weren't spies and espionage or anything like that. Um, they were more like scouts, and they were sent into the land to just live amongst the people for 40 days, just to get a feel for the land, for the people, and what they were going to be up against. And so these observers, these scouts, were to live um, amongst them. And you can read about it in Numbers 13, uh, verses 1 to 33. And we've got to remember that this land was occupied by a people who had long since turned their back on God. <clears throat> Some of us naturally would be thinking, hang on a minute, this, isn't this the story where the God of the Bible endorsed um, basically genocide and occupying and invading a land and taking it by force? Isn't this that story? And at one level, that is this story. But we've got to understand uh, the time the specific nature of it, and the people that they were actually being, um, that they were told by the Lord that the Lord would remove from the land. These are people that had never been close to God and were miles away from Him, and they practiced some of the most horrific cultural practices that are almost barely unspeakable today, unimaginable today. They were an abomination before God. And I'm not going to go into details about that this morning, but um, this story is in your Old Testament part of the Bible, and that's what I mean, we've got to keep that in mind. But when the 12 spies return from the land, they come to Moses and they, 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 they come to give their report, and they were split, there was 10 and then there was 2. And 10 of them had this 
absolutely horrific report. It was terrifying. They said that what they had seen, they'd seen fortified cities, they'd seen um, this sort of descendant race that were really, really tall. And I'm assuming back then um, the average height was probably this high, so they were probably people my height and a little bit, high, a little bit taller. But whatever they were to them, to the Israelites, to these um, scouts, these spies, they were enormous. And they were a fearsome foe. And uh, they definitely, the Bible tells us in slightly different words, but they exaggerated the report as well. They came back and they said, there's no way we can take this land. We've got no chance. We, we cannot defeat these, these people as God has told us to. Except for Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies came back, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, actually, no, this is a really, really good land and we can do this. We can do this. And here's the, here's the thing. They spoke up and they disagreed and they said that with God's help, this can be done. I want to say this morning, that is a wonderful example, an Old Testament example of incredible faith, of incredible faith, to come back as a group and to be two voices that speak out against a majority, uh, a majority who were, who, were, who were being negative. And uh, they knew that it wasn't so much the circumstances that they had experienced or that, that they had seen, they knew that God was behind this, that God had said, this is your land, I've brought you to it. And you will occupy it. This is your land. I'm giving it to you. And I will go before you. And they held on to that. It was God and his word that they trusted, that they had faith in. Whatever obstacles they were going to face, their faith would remain and determine uh, their response. Well, I want to say this morning, this is a principle that still applies to our lives, even today as New Testament people, as people who are disciples of Jesus, who follow Jesus um, who will, and I can guarantee you this from God's word, will never be telling us to ever go into a nation and destroy it, uh, and will never call us to war, um, ever. Uh, that's not the way of Christ, our King, that's not the way of His kingdom. And there is a massive difference between uh, what Jesus has for us now, what God has for us and revealed through Jesus, and what He had revealed at this specific time in the Old Testament. But you see, each one of us through Christ have been freed from slavery to sin and the consequences of death through Jesus' resurrection. And our promised land isn't geographical. It's very clear throughout the New Testament that our promised land is, uh, is one that's um, uh, yet to come. It's uh, of an eternal inheritance, as we looked at last week from Romans chapter 8. It's a kingdom. It's God's eternal kingdom that we've been brought into. And Jesus brought that kingdom into the world. Uh, he demonstrated, he, he, he gave us glimpses of what that kingdom looks like. He overcame evil, he overcame sickness, he healed people, delivered people, um, and of course, brought people back from the dead, and most powerfully, his own resurrection. And this was a kingdom that Jesus uh, showed us and called us to come and live with him in, and to live out from this wonderful hope that is in his kingdom, that one day this kingdom will be here forever, that we won't just see glimpses of it, we'll see it in all its glory and all its fullness. And of course the question remains, well how are we going to live in the meantime as God's people today? And we too, just like the Old Testament people, are called to live by faith and not by sight. We're called to live by faith that God's kingdom has come, that it's here only in part, but that one day it will be here fully and completely. And that means the way we see our obstacles, the challenges that come into our life, we see them through the lens of faith, just like Caleb and Joshua did. We see them through the lens of faith and trust in Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Well, back to the story. Um, 
the spice come back, 10 are negative Nellies and two are really positive, positive Peters. Um, but unfortunately, or should I say typically, the people of Israel listened to the naysayers. They listened to the majority. They listened to the 10 spies who were terrified and said it couldn't be achieved. And so as a people, they decided that they would not go into the land and occupy it. God, you've told us this is for us. We, don't, we look at it and think, well, there's no way that could be for us. The obstacles are too big. We'll decide that you must have got it wrong and we're not going to occupy the land. Well, like what happens typically right through the Old Testament with God's people, they rebel and God brings a form of judgment upon them. Their lack of faith, the fear that they gave into, was met with God's justice. And the Bible account tells us that the ten spies actually became sick. They were all struck down with illness and they, they died. And it would only be Joshua and Caleb, the two young spies at the time, who had faith, who remained alive and well. But the judgment didn't just stop there. The Israelites themselves, as a people who listened to those spies, those ten spies, they also suffered at God's hand. The Bible tells us that they, as an entire generation, were forbidden from ever entering the land. See, God's plans will happen. His purposes will come about, even if it takes a lot longer than uh, because of our rebellion and so on. And so they were assured that they would be wandering around the desert as nomads for 40 years until that generation was completely replaced by a new generation that had grown up. And the only two from that first generation to enter the Holy Land would be Joshua and Caleb. But you know what's amazing when we look at the story of the way they wandered through the desert and were led by God, that God still, even in his judgment, is merciful, he's good, he's gracious, and he brings hope and good news. Because during that 40 years, God showed them that he's still the God who provided for them. He gave them food and water to eat and drink when they needed it. He's the God who would guide them, he led them. Uh, and eventually he did so back to the brink of the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land promised but not yet delivered. Well, by now for Moses, his days were coming to an end. And in Deuteronomy chapter 31, we read that God had actually told Moses that his time to die had come. I read through that and I thought, wow, wouldn't that be great? I don't know about you, I think that would be great. Wouldn't it be great for God to actually say, you know what, your time has come and... Uh, and, and here it is. And in fact, if you keep reading it, uh, it's interesting how the Lord leads him right to the point of his, his death and says, you can lay down over here and you can, now, you can now go. Moses was at the end of his days and he'd been raising up and investing in Joshua, who would become Israel's next leader after Moses. And it would be Joshua who would be the one that would lead his people, God's people, into the promised land. It wouldn't be Moses either. He was part of that generation that doubted and uh, due to his temper and a few other things, he too was included in that judgment. He wouldn't see the promised land. He wouldn't live there. Uh, but Joshua would be the one that would lead God's people there. Well, what kind of word do you think you'd want at that time from your mentor that's dying as a young man about to take on the mantle of leadership? You'd really want some encouragement, wouldn't you? He has himself, Joshua, as a man of great faith, and he saw God's hand at work both in administering justice as well as grace and mercy. And yet this wouldn't be the easiest of tasks to carry out. He'd seen the people, he knew they were people. He knew that he had to obey God and that these people uh, would be put to death and they would be removed from the land and it would be given to Israel. 
and God's instructions were clear. There's no way of making this pretty. No one was to be taken prisoner. There would be no survivors. And yet Joshua, being a man of faith and a strong leader, a man who took God at his word, uh, the word that um, God had promised, he listened to him, he believed him, and he trusted him. Have a listen to the words that Moses spoke to Joshua in his old age before he handed over leadership to Joshua. It comes from Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 to 8. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He said to Joshua, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never fail you, nor will he abandon you. Then Moses called for Joshua, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land, and the Lord swore to their ancestors, uh, the, the land that the Lord swore to his ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will provide, uh, divide it among them as their grants of land. So do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you, he will neither fail you nor abandon you. I know these words are very familiar to us as a church. I believe they were used uh, often uh, during the great step of faith that this church took several years ago uh, now to to build this building, to relocate and to to move here. And they are wonderful words of encouragement and inspiration. Uh, But this week as I was praying and thinking about what we needed to hear as a church from God today at the start of a new year, it was these words of great encouragement uh, to Joshua from Moses that came to mind. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, and not just for leaders, but for all of us as God's people, all of us as ministers. Be strong and uh, courageous. Do not be afraid and do not go into panic. Well, Joshua, as a new leader of the Israelites, taking over from one of the greatest of their leaders, Moses, must have been quaking in his boots. There was a, He had so much to be afraid of. There's no doubt about that. Lots of things to panic about. He had already seen what he was up against. And even though he had confidence in God, no doubt in his humanness, he was terrified to the core. Well, this actually isn't in the Bible as an example, this story, for us today. It's neither a blueprint um, for us to follow and implement things in terms of taking over lands and occupying foreign countries. But what the story does do for us is serve as a reminder to us that despite sometimes the very same kinds of threats and concerns that we might be facing in our lives, in our world, maybe closer to home. God is still the same. He hasn't changed and he's the God that goes before us and he's the God that promises to come through for us and to never abandon us or to leave us no matter what. And these verses were given in Deuteronomy, which were, they were given to Joshua by Moses, but when Joshua's book is written about his life as leader after Moses dies and Joshua takes over leadership, right at the start in Joshua chapter 1, the same words are given to Joshua, not by a leader or another human, but this time directly by God. Have a look at Joshua chapter 1 verses 6 to 9. These are the words of God to Joshua as he's taken up leadership. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate uh, from them, neither turning to the right nor to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. 
And he continues, study this book of instruction, that is the law. Study it continually, meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Moses encourages Joshua with the call to be strong and courageous, and then God himself speaks the same words to Joshua. But did you notice what God also gave Joshua? He gave him his word, or more specifically, the book of instruction. He gave him his laws, which was the means through which Israel were at the time connected to God and had relationship with him. And God gave his word and he encouraged Joshua to study it, to meditate on it, and to obey it, to live it out. I want to suggest this morning there are three great encouragements we can take from that as God's people. Uh, in our lives today too. You see, you and I are God's people, not of the book of instruction anymore, and we've talked about that before, how as New Testament people, the law is now written on our hearts. Uh, It's made known to us through His Holy Spirit that's revealed and it's been fulfilled, it's been kept wholly and solely by Jesus Christ. None of us were capable of keeping it as it turned out and continues to turn out when we try. But Jesus could keep it. And God has given us his word this time in Jesus, his living word, uh, the word Jesus, and his written word testifies of his living word, Jesus. So we still have God's word, and it points uh, to how Jesus in every way fulfills and completes this word. It's a living, breathing word because of Jesus. And if we too are to be strong and courageous as God's people, then we also need to be studying, meditating, and obeying God's word. And just think for a moment of what that means as we follow Jesus. To study Jesus will mean learning from him. It will mean having our minds shaped by his stories, his um, behaviours, his actions in his life, specifically from the gospel accounts of those who live closest to him. It will mean reading and listening to his teachings and sitting in humility under them as we take note of his example to us in the way that he lived and, and the way that he engaged with people and with political situations of his day. What about to meditate on Jesus as our word? We meditate on him day and night. We'll mean, it'll mean keeping Jesus front and centre in the thoughts of our plans. Uh, not just a, a wristband, if that's helpful, that's great, but not just a what would Jesus do wristband, but um, more about a mindset, a constant daily awareness through God's spirit of Jesus. Meditating on him, practising close and intimate connection with him as we go about our day-to-day lives and of course the third point to obey Jesus will mean taking his commands summarized by Jesus himself to what to love God and to love others as you love yourself which means we take that seriously in all situations circumstances and relationships if someone wrongs you or offends you we love them rather than defend ourselves or try seek uh, vengeance It means that if you're challenged by something that you observe in Jesus' life or something that has been impressed upon you as you've meditated on him and studied him, then take the time to make that change in your life. Pause and reflect. Make that adjustment with the Spirit's help to obey what it is you've taken note of. You see, today, as we know, and I don't have to name them, we face many threats and challenges to our faith in Jesus Christ. And for each one of us here, that may take on something different. But they are the same threats to our faith. They're the things and circumstances and events 
and news that we see, stories we're impacted by that not just cause us to doubt, because there's nothing wrong with doubt, but cause us to go that one step further, and, and that is to distrust God's Word, to be faithless in response to Jesus and His teachings. And I think we can take heart from this story, from Moses and Joshua, and the words of lasting encouragement that Moses gave to Joshua and then God reinforced to him. They apply today in our circumstances, not to justify violent war or conquering of land, but in terms of the challenges that we face, the threats to our very faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Parents today, I want to encourage you as a fellow parent that uh, we need to recognise that we are those who lead our children. We lead and we raise them. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we being strong and courageous in the way we lead and raise our children in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, they listen to us talk about the challenges we have in our lives. They hear us speak about things going on and they hear us speak about our fears and our concerns. And I wonder, as I reflected on this myself, these conversations in day-to-day chattings and things, they impress upon our children what's important to us. Are we putting fear into the young minds, uh, into their hearts? in the way that we talk about life in this world, our own struggles? Or are we reminding them and instilling upon them that despite these things, as real as they may perceive to be and as real as they sometimes are directly in our lives, God has not and God will not ever abandon us or leave us on our own and he will do the same for them. He will not abandon them or leave them on their own. Are we instilling that into our children? Are we reading to them and encouraging them to read God's word Um, are we instilling in them this value for it that it is important and much needed in all of life and of course this goes to all of us here not just the parents may we be a people who are strong and courageous and may that be whatever it needs to be for you a people of faith not a people of fear we know uh, as we're going to look at in a couple of weeks um, perfect love casts out fear. And we will be looking that, at that third value, the greatest of them, in fact. How God's love overcomes fear in the next couple of weeks. Well, as we close, um, I want to leave us with a time to reflect upon God's word. And what better way to do that than listening to a, a wonderful song that has uh, been a blessing to many people I know uh, over the years since it was written? It's not all that old. Oh, it is actually, it's last decade. So must be getting really old, so 2004. But uh, it's a song written from this passage. It's a song that actually was written for, to encourage um, missionaries, as I understand it, in particular. But it, uh, it's, a strong, it's, a, it's a song of great encouragement. And I want to, I want to give you the time to, to reflect on it. The words will be up on the screen. It'll be familiar to most of us. Um, and to pray quietly during this time. To seek the Lord's comfort. To seek the Lord's strength to repent of the fears that we may have and to take stock again, take hold of his ancient promises that are just as relevant for us today in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be strong and courageous. And then we'll close uh, by singing and worshipping together. Thank you.
strong and courageous, Lord of the ages, holds all his little ones safe by his side. Be strong and courageous, Lord of the ages, holds all his little ones safe. Do not fear the fire. Isn't it great that we can trust in a mighty God who loves us? We're going to stand and sing about Jesus, our cornerstone. He's our rock and he's our strength and we can trust in him. <laughs> 